Blog Talk Radio. How do you think my day was? I am stuck doing all the work around here and drive the kids everywhere they need to go. And you want to know how my day was? Why don't you think before you speak? Yesterday you said I did not show enough interest in you, so I was just trying. Give me a break. Do you really expect me to believe that you give a damn about what me or your kids do all day? You are the most selfish man I know. All you do is work all day and then come home and ignore me. You are a fat excuse for a husband. Everyone says I should divorce you, then you will be sorry. But I'm home now. I'm talking to you now. I'm trying. Spare me your bullshit. I could divorce you tomorrow and get everything, including the kids. You cannot stop me. I can take them to Wyoming if I want to because I am their mother. Do you understand me? I am their mother. And there is nothing you can do about it. But Margaret, I'm just trying to do what you were yelling at me about yesterday. Yelling. Yelling. What do you mean yelling? I never yell. You are making things up again. You are so sensitive. You always blow everything out of proportion. You are crazy, Dan. Crazy. I am tired of you abusing me. Hold on, Margaret. I think you are misunderstanding me. And what is this about Wyoming? I do not understand. What is in Wyoming? I do not have to tell you anything, Dan. Do you me. understand me? Think you are misunderstanding me. You are such a and pathetic what is loser. About Wyoming? I am so sick of you. Which means you get you unlimited talk text and data for only forty-five dollars a month. No contracts. No surprises. What about you? Mommy left You know what you did. I am done talking to you. I am going inside to take a bath. The kids have not been fed, so you need to make them dinner. They also need clean clothes for school tomorrow, and if you think I am going to do that after everything I did all day, you have another thing coming. But Margaret, I just spent the last 11 hours at work. I do not want to hear it, Dan. Screw you. Screw you. What just happened? What if we could all be doctors? Good question. But with our cities facing so many health care issues, doctors alone are not the answer. That's why Hitachi looks at the big picture. From prevention to examinations to therapy, we're using our information technologies and medical equipment to make things better for generations to come. Hitachi Social Innovation. It's ours. Hitachi. Hitachi. Inspire the next. The only way you can spot a secret narcissist is to know them at close quarters, at which proximity they do their most devastating damage. Watch out, because these saintly fakes have two faces. Cross them and they'll take you down when nobody's watching, only to play the victim afterwards. Learn the nine secret signs of the narcissist in your life. Count the signs that are true for your suspected narcissist as we go along. Sign 1. Gollum. Listen carefully to her words and see the outward facade of generosity go up in smoke. Everything but everything is hers. The children. The house. The dog. Sign 2. Domestic tyrant. There's absolutely no question who wears the trousers in this house, her word is truly law, 
but never in front of guests. Sign three, secret alcoholic. Living up to the standard of perfection demanded by the false public face takes its toll, hence the secret stash. Sign four, the chosen one. She's choosy in her self-sacrifice. There is only enough love for the golden child, her magnificent favorite. Sign five, demon face. Threatening the carefully constructed image of your secret narcissist unleashes the beast, the raging demon face. Run for cover. Sign six, angel face. Her angelic face is the codependent lie lived by her in public. A significant investment of time and money is given to feeding its hungry pie hole. Sign 7. No empathy. Don't try to waste your breath trying to get her to see your side of the story. She can't see beyond her own self-serving demands or self-pity. Sign 8. Sentimental. The secret narcissist gets a kick from caring for the weak and vulnerable at a distance. It's a way of projecting self-pitying emotions. Trust me, she doesn't give a shit about the baby duckling. Sign 9. Victim status. The title of her memoirs will be... They were all against me. When you uncover a secret narcissist in your life, see how with their double-edged sword they give with one hand and take back with the other. Take their gifts at your peril. Click the score of your secret narcissist now.
Jesus' mighty sword And they shield you with their wings Keep you close to the Lord Don't pay heed to temptation For his hands are so cold You gotta help me keep the devil Way down in the hole Folks, and welcome to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. The doctor part is for history. I hold a uh, an advanced degree from the College of William and Mary in history. That's where that comes from. I am not a medical doctor, not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But I am pretty damn smart. I have to say so myself, speaking of narcissism. Today's date is uh, December 3rd. United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. And I am your host for another hour. Slightly less than an hour. The call-in number is 347-884-8500. For those of you who don't have the means, I have a an 800 number or an 877 number, 877-666-9305. had that number for quite some time. Very few people have ever used it. Don't know why. We've done this show once or twice before when the the commander-in-chief, the potentate, the chosen one, or simply the one, consistently refers to himself, well, I, me, I did this, I did that. You know, most... um, Most legislators, most politicians will almost always use the we when referring to an accomplishment. Even failures, they'll say we. We. 
we did this, we did that. Our current resident in the White House consistently uses I and me. I'm not sure if you've noticed that or not, but he does. And the the fact that he seems to in, inject himself in uh, events of the day that don't really require his presence, such as the events in Ferguson and the events currently unfolding in New York, suggest that Obama once again craves the spotlight where he really doesn't need it. <laughs> He's the president of the United States, and he continues to lower the office uh, to a substandard level. Um, and it's really quite sad. So tonight we're going to pull something out of the archives here when we start talking about narcissism and pathological narcissism. But first, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio invokes Martin Luther King and suggests it as a national moment of pain in the Eric Gardner case. Eric Gardner's the young man who was brought down to the ground and placed in a chokehold, continued to say that he couldn't breathe, and his pleas were ignored. And it's a really sad situation because I believe that all of these officers should have been relieved of their duties. They should all lose their jobs for excessive force and a man who was completely unarmed. He, he was unarmed. He was not really resisting. The situation could have been handled so much more delicately. Chances are the man, well, I don't know, but I, I, I seem to think, I, I, I hope that, you know, I, I would have hoped that he would still be alive today had those officers um, not been as brutal as they were. He was unarmed. They didn't need to behave the way they did. They should be fired. The man did not die in my based on the evidence that I had as a result of what they did. He died of a heart attack later on. Um, that's just with the little information I have at my disposal at this time. Still, the video was very clear. Was it an act of racism? I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe so. You know, we're quick. Not we. They are quick to, and you know who they are, quick to make a racist argument out of almost anything these days. Yes, this is a tragedy. This is not like what happened in Ferguson, where the officer was clearly justified, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the grand jury and many other people, many other citizens. This is certainly not that case. And my heart goes out to the family, and I hope they sue the city of New York and uh, reap the whirlwinds of uh, 
this tragedy, whatever. You know, certainly not going to bring that man back, but uh, I, I hope they get some form of justice. I don't believe an indictment was in order for murder or any such thing. I believe these officers need to be working at a strip mall somewhere, driving one of those little tiny Isuzu SUVs, policing the mall, if that. Now, let's get back over to our what we really want to talk about here. How many of you have the person that was described in the audio at the beginning of the show in your life right now? How many of you have had a person like that in your life, a narcissist, someone who thinks only about themselves that the whole world revolves around them? Any, Even the slightest hint of criticism is met with anger and resentment. Any of you? Any of you have anyone like that in your lives with a classic narcissist? Language is used cruelly and ruthlessly to ensnare one's enemies, to sow confusion and panic, to move others to emulate the narcissist, to leave the listeners in doubt, in hesitation, in paralysis, to gain control or to punish. Language is enslaved and forced to lie. The language is appropriated and expropriated. It is, it's, it's considered to be a weapon, an asset, a piece of lethal property. A traitorous mistress, to be sure. One to be gang-raped into submission. How many of you have experienced this in your lifetime? And do we see this sort of thing playing out in this current administration with this current president as he seeks to enslave the American people as it results, as it pertains to these situations we find ourselves in with regard to Ferguson and, 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 and what's happening in New York where the president is saying things like, you know, I try to make a habit of not getting involved in ongoing investigations, and yet at the very same time, he gets involved in ongoing investigations by speaking to them nationally. But let's get away from him right now. Pathological lying. Pathological lying is one of the hallmark characteristics of a narcissist. One who does it out of a need to manipulate and maintain control. For the immature narcissist, uh, there is an essential emotional truth. Just one. Lying. Lying is an expression of his or her mistrust of others. And his or her need to maintain a fragile sense of self at any cost. Being honest and therefore vulnerable terrifies the narcissist since his primary goal is to control others. How? Well, through projection, he consistently 
fears that others will try to control him. Thus, lying becomes the modus operandi through which he can maintain his superficial presentation of himself and keep other people from learning the truth of who he really is. He never allows himself to be pinned down or accountable. More lies are always necessary to cover up a previous lie. And typically, he even begins to believe his own lies and becomes outraged at any suggestion that he may be lying at all. Thus, he becomes sincere in his lying, and others may actually believe the lies because of the sincerity. This is why true pathological liars, such as psychopaths, are so hard to detect within our population. In general, the lack of an ability to feel guilty about the lies and the perverse sense that he is entitled to lie are standard for the political narcissist. Do you see where I'm going here? Now, having said all this, it is important to remember that lying, no matter how pathological, no matter how pathological it may be, is not in itself a disease. Everybody lies. Most pathological tests have built-in scales that detect this tendency to make oneself look better to others. And, And, you know, we all possess that to a degree. But when you combine an overwhelming need to make oneself look better, i.e. superior, with a grandiose sense of self, throw in glibness and a superficial charm that easily convinces others of your sincerity, then there's a little... It, well, there's, there's little to stand in the way of easily manipulating others to your will. Of course... It behooves you to also throw into the mix that whatever you do, whatever you do, you do it for the sake of others. You have to convince yourself of that. Children are a good standby, as in, do it for the children. You know, a funny thing, uh, a a thought occurred to me earlier, or a tragic thought, rather, when... um, Michael Jackson was accused of manipulating or, or 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 molesting children. He would always fall back on the phrase or the line, "I would never hurt a child. I would never hurt a child." End quote. Well, you know, I'm not saying that Mike was a child molester. He was certainly absolved of that in court. But men and women who molest children almost never think that they're hurting the child. They don't think in those terms. So it was always curious to me and quite telling when Mike would suggest that he would never hurt a child, as his defense when answering the charges of child molestation. Think about that for a minute. 
Let me refresh your memory about some basic pathological defense mechanisms. Denial, which is an immature defense in defining or is defined, rather, as an attempt to reject unacceptable feelings, needs, thoughts, wishes, or even a painful external reality that alters the perception of ourselves. This pathological defense mechanism protects us temporarily from what? Knowledge, things we don't want to know, insight or awareness that threatens our self-esteem or our mental or physical health, or perhaps our security, things we don't want to think about, unacceptable feelings, things we don't want to feel. The forgetting of repression is different from ordinary feelings in that there is often some sort of parallel symbolic behavior that goes along with all of this. Most often, repression is associated with Histrionic traits. A typical example might be the doting or dutiful wife who remains blissfully unaware of a husband's constant philandering. Although the evidence is obvious for everyone to see, she may not understand why she feels angry at her spouse. She may defend him passionately from his accusers, but the angry will, the the the, the anger will will. will It'll find a way to express itself in various other ways within their relationship. Or another example is a devoted public servant and leader of a party, guess who, who whose behavior in recent press conferences raises red flags in almost everyone who's watching or listening to him. My question to you, ladies and gentlemen, is do you recognize extreme narcissism when you see it, when you hear it? Pathological denial, pathological repression, deliberate lying, forgetfulness. Convenient forgetfulness. Perpetual displacement. Anybody? Poor Obama. He can't turn the page on Bush. It's all somebody else's fault. He is never one to blame. He never accepts blame. He never takes responsibility. He's no Harry Truman. The buck does not stop with him. It's always somebody else's fault. How many of us have those types of people in our lives today? It's not my fault. If so-and-so hadn't done that, then this would have never happened. If he hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have done this. It's not my fault. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Have you been married or dated someone like that? The narcissist. The megalomaniac. The person who thinks it's all about them, 
the world revolves around them. Think about it. On a lighter note, did you did you happen to see Charles Barkley this morning on uh, CNN? My goodness, when he left the studio after speaking to the folks at CNN, they were just they they had no words. Sir Charles really knows how to lay it on the line. And also, what's going on with Bill Cosby right now? You know, Bill. I mean, folks are just jumping on the bandwagon and coming out of the woodwork accusing him of the most heinous things. I mean, they're really piling on. And the the news media is all over it. Could it be finally backlash for Bill sounding a bit too conservative? Because Bill has always stated that black people need to take responsibility for themselves, that it's nobody's fault, that if the parents had done their job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, stop blaming white folks, and so on and so forth. If Bill, could it be that if Bill had been a little bit more liberal, that all of this never would have come out? Could it be? I mean, I'm just asking a question. Because my, my good friend, Alfonso Rochelle, he speaks to this issue. And he spoke most eloquently about it. And I'd like for you to, while we take our short break, I'd like for you to listen to him and and, and, and give, give give thought for a minute. It's, about, it's a three-minute long clip, clip, but he is a, a good friend. And he was recently featured on... Um, on the Bill O'Reilly show on Fox News, and I thought he did he did very very well. But take a take a listen to this and and think about it for a moment. Could this be part of the reason? Could it be that Bill is just a little bit a little bit too conservative for some folks? We'll be right back. You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Okay. What happened to innocent until proven guilty? Bill Clinton is a proven adulterous pervert and caught lying about it in court. And the feminists love him. The gavel hasn't been brought down on Bill Cosby yet. And his syndications are getting taken off the air. Somehow he's getting the Clarence Thomas treatment. If Bill Cosby is proven guilty, then he's got to own up to his sentence. But he's only guilty in the court of public opinion. And as far as I know, if his shows are being taken off the air, then the rest of the cast won't get their royalties. That's wrong. And they'll be paying for something that Bill Cosby has been proven guilty of. Al Sharpton seems to be hiding behind his mustache on this. It must be really awkward for him. Not because Bill Cosby is black, but he probably doesn't want to be revisited by the Tawana Brawley thing. I reckon Bill Cosby's getting the defamation of character treatment because he didn't fall in line with the black narrative like he was supposed to. Since he's not going to make excuses for black folks and dare to show a little tough love, he's going to have to pay the price for that. And now you're going to be defamed as a man who couldn't keep his hands out of the pudding. 
Some of these people want to bust Bill Cosby so bad, they're even saying he tried to get busy with Raven Simone, even though she was a little girl when the show was ending. I read the allegation on Hip Hop Hangover. Raven Simone herself said it's sick and not true. Now, Bill Cosby may have learned a lesson or two about this. Liberals are not your friends. And two, don't ever speak out against the voter stock of the liberal elite. The Democrats do not want you getting their voter stock thinking differently than the way they want them thinking. You didn't cross the line, Mr. Cosby. You were kind of sounding too much like them Republican folks. And the Klanocrats don't like that Republican talk. See, Bill, if you were doing what these women allege, then you should have never allowed yourself to be seen as anything else but a liberal. You could have sodomized these women while making them eat jello, and Whoopi would have defended you saying, well, it wasn't rape, rape. But they detected some conservatism in your posturings. The timing of this is weird. Maybe a long-awaited plan has been executed against Bill because he's got a message that upsets the apple cart. The Democrats can't have black folks living like the hustables. That would make black folks independent from them. I'm Alfonso Rachel with Donation. I don't just hope this isn't true for Bill's sake, but really for the supposed victims. I hope these women were not assaulted. And if you weren't, don't allow yourself to be used. Don't go telling no lies. Al Sharpton seems to be hiding behind his mustache on this. Hello, and welcome to How Smart Is Your President? A game show testing the intelligence of President Barack Obama. And now... Here's your host, G. Ski Rock! Thank you, thank you. You are too kind, thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to How Smart Is Your President? A game show testing the intelligence of President Barack Obama. And of course, here's our guest, here's our player. Let's everybody welcome President Barack Hussein Obama. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. We want to thank you for hanging out with us. Welcome to How Smart Is Your President? Testing the Intelligence of President Barack Obama. Our player for today, of course, the President of the United States, Barack Hussein Obama. Now, we went over the rules backstage. The game is very simple. We're going to ask you a series of questions, and you hit the fancy fancy buzzer to answer the question. And we're going to start off right now. Question number one. How many states make up the United States of America? Uh, I've now been in 57 states. I think one left to go. Sorry, Mr. President. The answer to the question is 50. 50 states make up the United States of America. Next question. Name one European country. Compared to countries like Europe? Sorry, Mr. President. Europe is not a country. Sorry. <laughs> uh, next question. What is one of the treatments for asthma? A breathalyzer. Or an inhalator. Not a breathalyzer. Sorry, Mr. President. You meant to say inhaler. Inhaler was the answer that you are looking for. All right. Next question. Okay. As the President of the United States of America, 
recite for me the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. I mean, uh, I, I guess. I, I, hold on a second. So, so, uh, so all I'm, all, all, all I, I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't, don't start. Don't, hold on. Sorry, Mr. President. Time's up. The First Amendment of the United States Constitution states as follows. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances, something that you clearly know nothing about. Anyway, moving on. Last and final question, Mr. President. Name the Mexican holiday in the month of May. The Cinco de Cuatro. Sorry, Mr. President, that was the wrong answer. You said four of five. The answer to the question is Cinco de Mayo, the 5th of May. That is the correct answer, and you are wrong again. Well, that's all the time that we have, folks. I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Catch us next time when we play How Smart Is Your President? Testing the Intelligence of President Barack Obama. I'm your host, G.C. Rock, and I'm out of here. Peace out, y'all. All right, folks, welcome back to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, Dr. Jones. The call in number is 347-884-8500. All right, so that was my good friend, um, George G. Ski. He's got a show on Blog Talk Radio. Mm-hmm, American Airwaves. G. Ski, look him up. He's got a show that's coming on at 9 o'clock, just a few minutes. Great. It's fantastic, and I'm so glad that he is back. So, let's wrap things up here because we're running out of time. We got about 20 minutes, but we got a couple things we need to get off our chest. One is President Barack Obama was on Staten Island earlier today, and he suggests that, uh, or outright stated that, the Ferguson case that uh, quote this is an American problem end quote. And uh, I'm not really sure what that what that means. President Obama vowed Wednesday, today, that he would quote he would not quote let up end quote in his push to address law enforcement issues after a grand jury in New York opted not to bring criminal charges in the case of Eric Gardner, a black man killed when a white police officer placed him in a chokehold. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about this, honestly. I don't believe, you know, that the officer was in the right. I don't believe that I can defend this officer. There's no way to really do that. And so I, I can't. It's not the same situation as what occurred in Missouri. Obama went on to say, and I quote, it's incumbent upon all of us as Americans, regardless of race, religion, faith, 
that we recognize this is an American problem and not just a black problem or a brown problem or a Native American problem. This is an uh, American problem, end quote. Well, see, here's here's where we have trouble here. Here's where, where I have, I'm having some difficulty here. President Obama, well, who the hell knows where he's actually from? I mean, really. But for the sake of this conversation, let's say that Barack Obama is from my great city of Chicago. Now, in Chicago, especially uh, particularly on the south side of Chicago, there is gang violence every single day. And black men and women and children are being murdered on a daily basis, my friends, by other black men and some women daily. Isn't that more of an American problem when black men are killing other young black men daily? Not just in our hometown, Mr. President, but all across America when black men are killing other black men wholesale? Where were you, Mr. President, last year when over 400 murders occurred on the south side of Chicago alone? Where were you, Mr. President? When did you come out and give a speech about an American problem? Because to my mind, Mr. President, it's an American problem when young black men are killing other young black men wholesale. Not when a white cop or two subdues a suspect and inadvertently commits what I would consider at this point with my limited knowledge of circumstances, manslaughter. Cops should be fired he should go to jail. Now, I heard a talk show host the other day defend this issue by saying, well, when black men kill other black men, they go to jail. Suggesting that when white men kill black men, they should go to jail. But that's completely false on its face. There are many, hundreds and hundreds of unsolved homicides in the black community every day, where a one young black man goes up, shoots another one in the head, runs down the alley, he's gone, body's laying out on the street for hours, not being covered up. Where's Al Sharpton? Where's Jesse Jackson? Where's Mr. Mr. Dyson? Where's Tavis Smiley? Where are they? They're nowhere to be found. Because... Folks, there is no upside to marching on, marching down 67th and Halsted all the way down to 112th. There's no upside to that. There's no, there's no real, there's no money in it. There's no fame. There's no podium to step onto. There's no stage. There won't be any mics. 
there won't be any news trucks. Al Sharpton marches down Halstead from 67 to 115th, which is where most of these crimes occur. But you can guarantee that the news trucks will be there when something like what occurred in Ferguson, Missouri occurs and when we have this unfortunate situation in New York. Obama goes on to say, when anybody in this country is not being treated equally under the law, that's a problem. And it's my job as president to help solve it. Well, no, I don't think it's your job to do that. Because, Mr. President, all of those folks who came to this country legally and went through the process of becoming U.S. citizens without being granted amnesty, well, they weren't, they're not being treated fairly under the, under the law because you've just given basically the same rights to people who broke the law to come here. But hey, why quibble, right? Now, Obama went on to say that the Gardner case speaks, and I quote, to the larger issues we've been talking about now for the last week, the last month, the last year, and sadly for decades, end quote. Mr. President, what about the issues in the black community when other black kids are killing other black kids wholesale? Wholesale, Mr. President, every day. You see, this speaks to the disingenuous disingenuousness of Democrats and and especially Mr. Obama. So he wants to vilify these white cops who most likely are feeling terrible right now. One or two or not all are going to lose their jobs. They face the specter of not being able to look out for their families they're, and possibly going to jail uh, if, if the federal – if the feds get a hold of it, which they, they're looking into it right now. And the President of the United States is dealing with this issue when, to my mind, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Obama has never spoken to black-on-black crime. If he has spoken to the issue of black-on-black crime in our inner cities, will somebody please email that clip to me or that? That documentation to uh, my email address, usmarine, the number one, at hotmail.com. For the life of me, I can't recall him ever speaking to, to the issue of black-on-black crime. And if you can, I'd, I'd certainly like to hear it. Now on to Charles Barkley. <laughs> the color of someone's skin seems to come up in the U.S., Oh, wait. 
I'm sorry, I'm reading here from the text. The color of someone's skin never seems to come up in the U.S. unless it's in a negative way. Former NBA star Charles Barkley told CNN Tuesday, saying he finds it, quote, ridiculous, end quote, when people believe white police officers set out to shoot African Americans. He went on to, quote, and I quote, we never discuss race in this country until something bad happens, end quote. Barkley told CNN's Brooke Baldwin uh, Tuesday. And even then, everybody wants to protect their own tribe, whether they are right or wrong. Let's take a listen. And even then, everybody... Well, in that case, abracadabra. Do everything faster and easier with the new, more powerful S Pen only on the Galaxy Note 4. The next big thing is here. We've always had a racial issue in this country, and the biggest problem with it is we never discuss race until something bad happens. We never have meaningful dialogue over a cold beer when things are going good. But what happens is everybody, when something bad happens, everybody has a tribe mentality. Everybody want to protect their own tribe, whether they're right or wrong. What do you mean when they're right or wrong? We all got bad characters in our group. We all got bad characters. So my grandmother taught me, you judge everybody on their own individual merit. You don't care what any other jackass has to say. You don't put everybody together. Black is not always right, and white is not always wrong. You got uh, uh, some bad apples who taking advantage of the situation. That's the point. You got, uh, and, and that's unfortunate because this is a serious, somebody lost a child. And this is uh, something we need to sit, sit back and discuss and figure out what happened, what went wrong. But let me say this. The notion that white cops are out there just killing black people, that's ridiculous. It's just flat out ridiculous. And I challenge any black person to uh, try to make that point. This notion that cops, cops are actually awesome. You know, they're the only thing in the ghetto from uh, between the, this place being the wild, wild west. So this notion that cops are out there just killing black men, it's ridiculous. And I hate that narrative coming out of that, out of this entire situation. What about the case we're waiting for the um, the results to come down from the grand jury for Eric Garner here sure, in New York, uh, right? I mean, it's one thing in Ferguson, there's some audio, but you see the video, you see these cops surround him, yes, yes. and he ultimately, so it was a homicide. He died. I don't think there was a homicide. I don't think there was a homicide. I think what it, was that? Uh, the chokehold. You see it. Well, I think the cops were trying to arrest him, and they got a little aggressive. I think excessive force, uh, you know, something like that. But to go right to murder, when, when the cops are trying to arrest you, if you fight back, things go wrong. That doesn't mean, I don't think they were trying to kill Mr. Garner. You know, I, I, they, he was a big man, and they tried to get him down. You know, I'm hearing so much from different people, friends, people who come on my show, um, African-Americans saying, listen, Brooke, you know, I was taught it as a young age. I, I have different rules than you do when I deal with police. And there is a lot of there's a lot of getting that off people's chest right now because of what happened in Ferguson. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration what can we as a country do with that, this energy right oh, now? Well, first of all, we can open a dialogue. And I think that's probably what I was trying, what I did was open a dialogue. Brooke, in, in fairness, there's some black people out there who are crooks. And when the police come to your neighborhood, 
it's a, a tense situation. The only time you interact with the cops is when things are going wrong. And sometimes we ever interact, interact with the cops. But first of all, we as, we, we as black people, we got a lot of crooks. We can't just uh, wait until uh, something like this happens. And we have to look ourselves in the mirror. There's a reason they racially profile us at times. Sometimes it's wrong, but sometimes it's right. So to, to act and sit there and act like we have, hold no responsibility for, for some of this stuff, it's it, disingenuous. Well, what do, you, what do you think about that? What do you think about what Charles said? I think that he was right on. I think he was right on the money. Um, and I think a lot of this has to do with with us. You know, uh, he he. You know, the truth hurts, and a lot of times we don't want to hear the truth. The the truth is, there's a lot of black crime out there, folks. Black folks committing crime, and unfortunately, they have to deal with the police. The problem is, most black blacks, especially young black thugs, black hoodlums, they're not afraid of the police. They deal with them all the time. They're in and out of Cook County Jail or whatever jail you, you, you have. They're not scared of the cops. So they're going to be belligerent. They're going to challenge the cops. They don't fear. They don't respect authority, nor do they fear. I'll tell you a brief situation that happened to me recently. I was driving down um, um, Peachtree, Peachtree Street Northeast in, uh, in, in Atlanta. And down in, uh, in in Midtown Atlanta, and I ran a stop sign. Clearly, I was flustered because uh, I had no idea where I was going. I was not familiar with, with with Midtown at all. So I was pulled over. A cop cop was sitting right right there, just waiting for somebody to do exactly what I did. And uh, he he puts his siren on, his lights. He pulls up behind me. He he approaches the car and he said, "My name is Officer Smith." Um, uh, do you know you ran that? Uh, I'm with the Atlanta Police Department. Do you know you ran that stop sign? I said, Yeah, officer. I'm 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 new to the area. I don't I don't know this area, and I was just trying to find my bearing, looking down at the at the navigation system here. And he said, um, I, I I understand. He said, he said uh, Do you have your license? And I said, uh, Yes, I I've got my license. It's it's in my bag though. It's and it's in the trunk. He said, Well, you know. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, just uh, you know, take your time. You know, try to find your bearings and uh, and, and be careful. And I said, well, 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 thanks, officer. I certainly do appreciate that. And uh, and then he went on back to the car. And he said, all right, be safe. And I, and I rolled out. Now the cop was white, and I'm a black guy in a Mercedes Benz. One of the one of the new models, of course. So I'm rolling out in a Mercedes Benz. I'm driving down Midtown. He pulls me over for running the stop sign. He was the nicest, most courteous guy. I actually called into the station and reported how how well I was treated by that officer. Now, here's what I did. I, I got out of the car and went to the trunk to retrieve my license. Guess what? The license wasn't there. My wallet was not in that bag. I rolled out and was riding riding dirty downtown with no license at all. That just shows you the luck of the Joneses right there. But nevertheless, I was treated fairly. I was treated courteously by the police officer. Why? Because I was raised to respect authority. I 
am an authority figure and was as a as a, as a United States Marine. And I and I spoke to the officer courteously. I did not disrespect him. I did not give him attitude. And in kind, he he and in so doing, he he showed me that very same uh, respect. Now that's not true all the time for a lot of people, but it, usually if you show an officer respect, he'll he'll, he'll show you some right back. And I believe what Charles said was right on the money. So bravo to you, Charles. I can always count on you to tell it really like it is and not be afraid to do so. Bravo, Charles. Sir Charles. All right, folks. Our time is up for tonight. We'll be back tomorrow. And we'll finish up well because I'm sure there will be so much more, so much more to talk about. Uh, on these issues tomorrow. So thank you so much. There's so many things you could be doing with your time, and you you chose to come in and listen to my show, and I do so appreciate you for doing so. And have a great night. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. We are out. Through early morning fog I see Visions of the things to be the pains that are withheld for me, I realize and I can see that suicide is painless, it brings on many changes, and I can take or leave this if I please. The game of life. It's hard to play I'm gonna lose it anyway The losing card I'll someday lay So this is all I have to say Take or leave it if I please.